Welcome to Asset Yield, the podcast series of Kinsteller's Asset Solutions Sector, where we speak with principal investors, advisors, and funders in the world of non-performing and non-core assets of all classes, bringing you frontline market insights in real time. Good morning. We're here today with Timor Peters, founder and CEO of Debitos. Timor, great to have you on our podcast series. Thank you, Denise, for the invitation. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you. So Debitos has been informally described as an eBay for illiquid assets, but I'm sure that you have a much more professional and proper description of it. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what Debitos is and what you do. Yes, generally we have a platform infrastructure where we can execute nearby any kind of loan, claim, and even real estate uh, transactions. We are offering a full range of services on our platform, so meaning you can buy even advisory services from us or third parties to execute transactions. But at the end of the day, to make it easy, the scripture from you is not so bad. So it's some kind of illiquid asset. What we cannot trade, financial instrument because of uh, some supervisory environment, but everything that is not defined as a financial instrument in accordance to MIFID can be traded on our platform. Huh? So you're based in Germany, is that correct? Yes, in Frankfurt. Your company is about how many years old is it now? So we are active since 2013, roughly seven to, to nine years. In the first two years, we were in this kind of stealth mode, I would say. Mm-hmm. So, so since 2013, we are really on the active. Yeah. And what jurisdictions do you cover? From our Frankfurt office, we have a multilingual team. We are offering a lot of cross-border services or cross-border transactions. So meaning people from Spain can sell on our platform loans to UK investors. That's not a problem. In this regard, we were able to execute already transactions in 16 countries in Europe. So I think every county where an NPL transaction happened, we're already on our platform. There are some countries that are not active, like France, for example, where really not really an NPL market, transaction market exists, but all well, other ones, it's not a problem on our platform. Huh? I think in post-corona days, every market will have some NPLs for sure. I have had the pleasure of participating in several demonstrations of your platform, so I pretty much know how it works. But it is a bit interesting for our audience to hear some of the more granular details. When you say it's eBay, basically people slap their products on the platform and you directly contact the seller and that's the end of it. Whereas Debitos is a bit more sophisticated. Maybe you could talk to us a little bit about the mechanics of how these auctions work on your platform. Yeah, sure. So generally, we have a category system. Uh, so meaning we try to divide really the specific trading categories. So for example, residential loans, consumer loans, etc. In each category, you find different type of questions and different type of data room structures and different type of data tapes and also different type of investors. We try to make it as slim as possible, but the start of a sales process normally starts with the uploading of data tape from the seller. So the seller prepares this kind of data in a data room environment. And after uploading it, transaction will be saved as a draft and our team can review it. 
after this review. Normally, we give some recommendations to the seller, how to structure the portfolio, what data has to be added, how to configure the transaction. So if, if they should do an indicator phase or if they should do directly a British auction or if they do directly a sealed bid auction. Then there are also some topics around uh, compliance and onboarding. So the seller has to provide an NDA, has to provide also in the minimum in the British auction also an SPA, so a sale and purchase agreement. There are some requirements where we lead the seller through the sales preparation process. And as soon as the transaction is ready to start, the seller can then decide to publish it. After this decision, the seller will get a list of investors that are investing in this kind of category, in this kind of ticket size, in this kind of country. The seller itself can then select out of the list the investors he prefers for his transaction. He's always in control who, who can access this transaction, who can enter this transaction, so on and so forth. And also can define the requirements to investors to enter this transaction. It's not only the NDA, sometimes there are also other requirements from the seller. The seller is free to choose here. That's quite interesting and quite a lot to unpack. Maybe we can talk about the various phases because they're new to the market more or less, a market that is more accustomed to traditional auctions. So you're saying, if I understand, that the whole data process, the due diligence process, is embedded and integrated into the auction platform. So parties don't have to go to a separate BDR or in-person review of documentation. Is that correct? That is correct. We have an own developed data room. And even though we can generate out of the data room also some kind of visualizations for the investor to review the portfolio in a very quick and efficient way. That's interesting. And you mentioned the SPA. When the auction takes place, are the SPAs already signed or agreed to? How does that work? No, they are not signed. In the indicative phase, it's not so crucial. Indicative phase, indicative bids, normally the seller provides an SPA, investors can review it and give together with indicative bids some kind of comments on the SPA. In a British auction, the seller and investor have to agree on a specific SPA before the bidding starts because on a British auction, it's really in that way that the bids are public and binding and should be also comparable. So meaning the seller wants to have comparable bids with different investors. So he has to find a legal base with the different investors. There are different strategies. One strategy can be that he says, okay, there are no changes allowed. Or the other strategy is, okay, you send me the changes to a specific date. And then I allow only the investors where I have agreed an SPA. And the third auction process that we are offering is sealed binding bid collection. There is no public auction in that way. And with the sealed binding bid, it's also a little bit more flexible because there the SPA has to be agreed before the binding bid take place. The investor simply uploads the sealed binding bid together with the comments and the seller can then review all sealed binding bids and can then decide which one they want to close. And you mentioned the English auction, but I believe that from what I understood in your demos, that the seller can choose to make any kind of auction it wishes. Dutch auction, and there was another one that you guys came up with, a Japanese auction. I think it was a mix of English auction and Dutch auction. But is the impression then that this is a very bespoke product, that the seller can basically create whatever process it wishes? No, so we are not offering currently Dutch or Japanese auction. There were some requests from the market to offer this, but after asking several investors and sellers, they are fine with having this British auction and they are also fine with having a sealed bid auction. 
Mm -hmm. Maybe, uh, Denise, you have also seen the survey, also the association the Deutsche Kreditmarktstandard has made. These are also the two preferred auction processes seller and investors have. Dutch auction and Japanese auction is only a very small minority of people that wanting this. I'm not surprised. I mean, a Dutch auction is like catching a falling knife. My head was spinning as it was explained to me. I just couldn't even imagine how that was conducted. But it's interesting that the public has spoken and they've gone with a more conventional process. A couple of other things that you mentioned that are quite interesting. You said the word public, that everything is public, and that goes to the issue of transparency. Do the various bidders see who the other bidders are, or to what extent do they have visibility of the process? Yeah, so in a British auction, I think there's the biggest transparency because there's a public binding bids, so meaning public in that way that all invited investors can see the current bidding level. What they can't see are the names of the other investors. They only see the current bidding level, like we have on also on eBay, and they can make a counter bid to increase it. And that's in real time. So while I have my fat thumb on my computer, I can see who else has their fat thumb on theirs. That's right. There is some kind of security mechanism in our process. So it's not only clicking, there's a pop-up to confirm, to, to see the amount once again, and so on and so forth. There shouldn't be any accidental input here. It's also the situation that we, at the end of the British auction, when in the last five minutes and a bit arrives, we extend the auction for further five minutes. So even people with, I would say, uh, big sums <laughs> has the possibility within five minutes to make a counter bid. I see. Okay. I say that from experience because I've been in the financial sector for many decades and I've seen the most terrible things happen when people are left to their own devices to implement bids on assets. Let's say I'm a bidder and I'm convinced that I bid the highest price within the deadline for an asset, but you're telling or the system is telling me that I was outbid or I submitted my bid after the deadline. Is there some way to review that? Do you have the information available so that there's no confusion here about the bidding? Generally, in a multi-geographic system, also with different time zones, there can occur from technical points problems, for sure, because also there are local firewalls and so on. So there can be the situation that somebody is clicking and maybe it arrives in our server too late. On the other side, we always recommend to investors to do it in this time frame that is not two seconds or three seconds before ending. They have enough time. So normally the bidding period is two days. We recommend this to the investors. We can for sure track some activities when somebody has logged in and when they have pushed the button. But this is something that we can only refer to what's happening when it arrives our servers. So what we cannot control is what local barriers there are on a desktop in the secured environment behind the firewall. This is only something that you can see. And normally it's the way that the seller, when they have defined the reserve price and uh, somebody was the highest bidder and has met the reserve price already, it's a binding transaction, so there should not be the possibility to revoke anything here. You basically have a data tape that tracks the entire process. So if anyone questions whether their bid was within the deadline or what the various bids were, if my boss comes back to me and says, you overbid on this, I have access through you to a data tape that shows what the various bids are and when they came in, at least on your side. Oh, sure. Maybe you know the log files that you know from the data room provider. And this is something that we have even extended on our transaction page. So you get a log file of all activity on the transaction page, not only the data room, also the bidding process and the access of the website. 
maybe also sometimes auction will be extended uh, and so on and so forth. So the log file represents any kind of activity that is happening in this transaction. This is something that I'd like to explore with you further as we speak, because this is a particularly useful part of the platform in jurisdictions in Central and Eastern Europe, where there is some concern about transparency of processes. The fact that the whole auction process can be so minutely tracked is definitely a benefit. In some cases, directors, bank directors are held personally or criminally liable for sales if they're found to be less than par, uh, which by definition they are in NPL situations. So it's always good to be able to point to the market and say this was the best price and this is what the market bears. And we'll discuss that in a little bit. Who gets the investors together? Is it debitos or is it the seller or how do you accumulate these people? Generally, each investor is free to register on our platform to define an investment profile where he types in the country, the ticket sizes, and the type of loans that they want to buy. And based on this, sellers can get on each transaction an automated long list out of our database. So Debitos actually has a database of approved investors. Yes, it currently contains more than 900 investors from 16 countries, but for sure there are also situations, especially also in Central Eastern Europe, where you have, we have some local investors not registered because they never popped up in the past before. There's the seller for sure free to invite them as well to the specific transaction. The registration for investors is free, so there are normally no problems also with onboard new local investors here. And so what is the general time frame? From the minute that the seller comes to you and says, Timur, I have uh, three loans to sell, or I have a portfolio, I have a lease, to the moment when you return to the seller and say, these are the bids that we received. It depends on the situation of the data preparation. If they have uh, ready to use data tape, we can execute the transactions between two and six weeks. That's uh, not a big issue. Wow. We're currently selling a 550 million portfolio in Italy within a time frame of only two weeks, for example, for only a bidding phase. That's possible. For sure, there are some limitations on the investor side sometimes to react so fast. When you make a short time, you have a shorter due diligence and also decision time on the investor side. That's true. But on the other side, we are preparing already or we make the transaction in that way possible to, to execute it in this time frame. So in this time frame, it's quite realistic. There are uh, sometimes situations where we need an indicator phase and binding phase, but that's mostly the reason from the sell side. The seller has to have some kind of indicative valuation first before he defines some reserve price. But then it takes between one and two months. But in general, it sounds like it's a very time-efficient process in the sense that you have the whole due diligence data room integrated. There's immediate access to all the materials. There's transparency. And the timing can be quite short depending on the cooperation of the seller, let's say, and the access to documentation. You mentioned that you're currently selling a $550 million portfolio. Are there certain size portfolios or certain ticket sizes that lend themselves in particular to this platform? Or are you able to do everything from 100 euros to a billion euros? We have, a, I would say, a sweet spot in the market that's between five and, and 300 million. So the most of the portfolios have these kind of ticket size. On the investment minimum amount, it would be good to start with portfolios that have an expected purchase price above 1 million. 
loan sales below 1 million is more very granular and very local uh, normally, so it cannot attract international investors. And on the other side, regarding the limitation on 300 or 400 million, it's a situation where you have a very big transaction that there is also a lot of data uh, or local data preparation needed. We have not this kind of coverage in all these kind of countries, so <laughs> um, it's simply not possible for us to make this kind of big transactions to prepare the data in that way. And there's also another topic that when you have a portfolio or purchase price even above 100 million, there are maybe only 10 to 20 investors in Europe that are reviewing this. Buyers are sometimes so strong that they say, okay, I want to have an exclusive access if I make a due diligence on these kind of big transactions, and I don't want to be competed in a British auction for these kind of tickets. But Denise, you know, we have also made a transaction in Italy with more than 2 billion gross book value. Indeed. Indeed, and, and that's public. It's public so you can mention the names of the players because it's a really a great achievement. Oh, that's right. There was on the buy side Cerberus and the seller was advised by EY. It was a here conglomerate of different banks because it was a wind-down portfolio. In this case, they have also chosen the, the British auction and it worked out. So it's also possible. But these kind of transactions above 1 billion are quite rare on our platform. You've mentioned a lot of moving parts in the process. Even though it's quite integrated, there are a lot of moving parts, which raises the question about what is debitose? We used to say, are you a floor wax or a dessert topping? So on that basis, I ask you, do you see debitose as a financial advisor, as a marketing agent, as strictly an electronic platform, or somehow a combination of all of these? Yeah, so I would say we are generally a hybrid version of a financial advisor and a platform. There is always an advisory part in our processes. But what we have achieved in the past and also currently with this newest project in Italy together with the Dovelio Group is a possibility to also provide only the infrastructure where other people are taking over the advisory part or even bigger banks have own sell-side advisor internally that want to execute simply the transaction on a technical infrastructure without any external advisory. In this regards, we have already, especially in the countries where we have no local teams, we provide them only the platform or the infrastructure and offer this infrastructure to existing advisors or to banks that have own sales side groups. It's very bespoke. You can be whatever the seller wants you to be. Yeah, generally, yes. I don't know if the question also regarding Italy will pop up, but maybe one side hint to this news project with Dovelio. Maybe you know the Dovelio Group is a very big loan servicer in Southern Europe. I think they are currently the biggest one in Southern Europe, active in five countries. And we have currently released in May a platform under debitos.com slash dolook, where the loan service is showing up his service portfolio in Italy. So Dovelio has currently 90 billion under management in Italy and where investors can directly access single loan transactions out of the service portfolio, make a collection of loans, send it to the Dovelio team, and the Dovelio team can directly execute the transaction with a specific investor. Very interesting. You're really ahead of the curve. Timur, at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned very briefly some of the various assets that Debitos have sold on the platform, real estate, advisory services, everything but financial instruments. 
Are you basically willing to sell anything? I think you had mentioned at one point that you had even sold portfolios of minor straps, like municipal penalties that people get when they turnstile jump or do something, you know, get a jaywalking ticket. So what is the range of assets that you're selling on your platform? Yeah, so 90% of the loans that we are selling are non-performing loans from financial institutions. Eh? Next to this, in the last year, and especially this year as well, there is the need also for banks to dispose performing loans or sub-performing loans. We have this heavy impact this year also in this corona crisis where the German Schulscheins are flooded all over the market. Uh, so the saving banks want to get rid of their invested Schulschein darlehen, even when they are still performing. Because the, the industries they, where they have invested are sometimes aviation, touristic industry, hotel area, and so on. So this is something that we see. And this is also something I think this will evolve in the next months, that banks need also an infrastructure to execute transactions on performing loans. We have also executed some performing loan transactions in Central Eastern Europe for wind-down banks. So in this regard, the platform is capable to execute the transactions. There are not so many on the market, but I'm quite sure this will increase. What we also see is a need of litigation claims. We had several ones in our platform. Also, these are very difficult loans or difficult claims to sell because there are a lot of legal evaluations in this kind of process. But this is also something going forward where we see also some kind of streamlined special litigation claims for example, against public debtors or other ones that we are capable and see also a more future in that way. Yeah? I'm glad you mentioned litigation claims. You took the words right out of my mouth because that is an increasing business in this post-corona period. And side by side with this, and let me just throw it out for your opinion, insurance claims, can you imagine also trading these? Yes, we have already traded insurance claims. Ah. Um, I would say a very big limitation on insurance claims or because of regulatory environment, it's very difficult to sell this from data perspective. So there's only limited way of insurance claims that can be sold. Huh? I see. And you had mentioned also about uh, jurisdictions, and that's sort of tied into the regulatory framework. Do you find that some jurisdictions are more difficult to sell in or easier to sell in? Are you agnostic or do you have preferences for jurisdictions? No, for sure. They are from regulatory environment, especially in Central Eastern Europe. There are again and again countries popping up with some local limitations or local changes of law. There was this also this current decree in, in Hungary where, you know, interest rates, payments uh, will be stopped till end of the year and so on. I think in these kind of countries, there is always the risk that some things like this happening will then restrict further access from investor capital. They are not always having this on their agenda when they, they make this kind of uh, change in law. It's quite difficult then to find a business strategy for these kind of countries. But what we also see, especially when you go to the German-speaking area, two or three years ago, there was a very big uncertainty also in Austria if loan transaction can be executed from banking supervisory perspective. But I think now in the last two years was solved. Austrian market is now again very active when it comes to a transaction. 
it's interesting because you've moved us into the next natural area to discuss, which is the whole legal and regulatory framework around the online sales of these assets. And Debitos in general, and you in particular, Timor, you've been very active with the EU in implementing or maybe in advising them on how to implement certain regulatory changes. Perhaps you could speak a little bit about your activities in that area. Yeah, sure. We have founded this company because we have seen some kind of market need and we've developed it from time to time. But we had never in the beginning any kind of political target for this kind of activity. So it was a more commercial decision. In 2018, there was this action plan from the European Commission to tackle MPLs in Europe. And we were surprised, but positively, they've put also developing of NPL transaction platforms on their agenda. After that, there were some activities, there were some roundtables, some, a lot of discussions. I would say, since today, nothing really concrete, but a very big interest to implement this kind of NPL transaction platforms on a European level and also having a coverage in all existing countries. Huh? We were very engaged in this kind of discussions. Uh, we wanted to push this topic. There were also now other players uh, going to this market as well. And the idea from the European Commission was also to be better prepared for the next financial crisis. And there surprise, was, here it is. <laughs> now we have this financial crisis. We have this, I would say, general crisis. It's yeah. not only a financial crisis. And everybody expects there will be maybe the similar amounts of NPLs like we had on the financial crisis. So maybe it will be doubled again from 500 billion to 1 trillion. What they are now discussing, uh, there's this bad bank model. European backbend model. There are still a lot of fans also supporters regarding this NPL transaction platforms. Maybe it can be also a mix of both. I had one or the other conversation where people are saying maybe we can implement a bad bank that also set up or uses a transaction platform to divest the whole portfolio. I think there will be a mix of both. But on the other side, it's also very political discussion right now. What we do on our side, we are doing the same way that we have done now with Dovalue in, in Italy. We will provide this kind of infrastructure only on a commercial level as much as, as possible infrastructure market participants like loan services and loan sale advisors so that we are capable to execute in Q3 or Q4 in all uh, countries the transactions are on our platform. So we, we are doing it already independently from the political discussion. Is the objective then to have a single European platform with harmonized single documentation? Is that the ultimate objective of this exercise? From us, yes. <laughs> we are already building internal, I would say, experts group from the platform users. So there mm -hmm. are people that are discussing about SPAs, there are people that are discussing about NDAs and so on and so forth. For sure, it would be better if there are some kind of associations jumping on this topic. I think there, there is, for example, this loan market association, this credit mm -hmm. standards or other ones that can also uh, support in that direction. Uh, there is also this activity from the European Bank Authority regarding the standardized data templates. It's not so well accepted yet, but also we are supporting this kind of activity. We see a mix of public support and uh, private support here in that direction. And the idea is that we as a platform provider can 
offer this kind of standardized doc documentation and also that the market participants are accepting this. Uh, this is also not. You raised a very interesting point because on the one hand, this kind of conformity or, or harmonization of documentation, information, and platform would of course go a long way to address the asymmetry of these things that you typically get in asset sales. On the other hand, there is an arbitrage to be had in that asymmetry. And personally, uh, having been in the market for some years as well, I would be very surprised to see originators opening their kimonos and disclosing the level of transparent information that this whole undertaking would require. But certainly, I think in this post-corona market, you raise an interesting point because as the moratoria, as you mentioned, expire, the enforcement uh, moratoria, the payment deferrals, as the courts open, notaries reopen, registrars reopen, you know, activity recommences, we're going to have quite a backlog, not only of the front book, but the already existing back book. Do you think that this might be an incentive or a trigger to accelerate the digitalization of these asset sales that has, you know, been it's been moving along but a bit slowly do you think this will accelerate the process no sure and it's also interesting because um what we see in the in the german market especially right now uh, there was this corona uh, lockdown in in april we also saw a lot of transaction freezing uh, in, in spain right. and italy but also in germany uh, but in germany was back already very quickly in may so the transaction closed then in may and now what the german banks are preparing and this is quite interesting in the past they always mentioned that they have no non performing loans and so on and so forth they have nothing to sell but now they start selling their legacy portfolio from the financial crisis because they, they say to us, okay, we expect this kind of impact on the balance sheet in the next years from this corona, and we have to get rid of first of the old ones of this legacy portfolios that we had already, that we still have in our balance sheets. And this is something they do now already. They start cleaning up uh, portfolios from the legacy portfolios that they are prepared to concentrate on the new NPLs that uh, will for sure pop up. This is what I'm hearing as well in the market. As I mentioned, it seems that originators are really looking into their back book effectively to prepare for a new front book. And from your discussions with sellers in the market, when do you see the whole sale process sort of coming back to life, really reviving? I mean, right now there are smaller portfolios being sold, with the exception of the one that you mentioned earlier, the Italian 550 million. In general, and particularly in Central and Eastern Europe, the portfolios are smaller and they tend to be unsecured consumer portfolios that are sold on a systemic basis, you know, on a regular monthly or quarterly cycle. When do you see us returning to business as usual? In Germany, I would say we are now already at 80, 90 percent. Uh, so, uh -huh. you know, also the prices, uh, when you see the bids, they are not so far away. Uh, from the, the prices that we had before. In Italy, we see the, the bids are coming now in June. In Spain, for example, everybody tells us, they, every investor will, uh, is telling us, okay, we don't expect to be active on the market after summer break. Uh, so in Spain, you know, the, <laughs> the summer break, uh, July, August. That's sacred. <laughs> that, uh, that, so, that is sacred time. <laughs> yeah, my impression is that they, they don't want to make any kind of transaction before the summer breaks ended. Uh, so 
this is something where we expect to be active in September or something like this. But in Italy, they're already back. In Central and Eastern Europe, it's quite difficult to say. We, ha we have even uh, executed transaction within the lockdown time. It depends a little bit also on the on the type of uh, portfolio transaction. I think the big portfolio transaction also in uh, in Central and Eastern Europe will also be at the end of Q3. The smaller mm -hmm. smaller ones, I think, are already active and can still be executed there. Well, it's not surprising, as you mentioned, that Italy and Spain are active already because I read some materials from Morningstar who have rated pretty much all of the NPL securitizations in Italy. And they were saying that Spain and Italy are the two jurisdictions where the banks have done the least provisioning as opposed to Norway and the UK who have done the most provisioning. So they will definitely need to clean their back book or else they will be uh, submerged and they'll have of serious red cap issues. Which brings me to an, an interesting question full circle to the benefits of debitos. We're coming now into what will probably be a very busy cycle for non-performing assets. And, and as you said, debitos are also looking at performing assets as well. Investors are really going to have to allocate their resources, financial resources, but also human resources as well. You can't be working on uh, that many portfolios at once. And I guess if I understand you, one of the benefits of Debitos is that because of the ease of transaction, portfolios on your platform will be more attractive to investors. Yeah, this can can be possible because uh, what we see is the possibility for investors to review very fast, also different geographies. So, especially in Central Eastern Europe, uh, when you when you ask investors, they they are in a normal or traditional way, it's very difficult for them to to jump from one country to the other to review deals. I think this is something where they can do easily on our platform, where they can review from different countries very quick, the, the transactions. And also they have, especially in this British auction, this kind of transaction certainty. When something is for sale and the reserve price is met, they can directly execute it. And this attracts also investors to enter this transaction process because they know they can increase a bit. At the end of the day, the highest bidder wins. So it's, it's a very simple rule, I would say. Yeah. Demetrius effectively creates a low-hanging fruit for prospective investors, you have, as you said, certainty of execution, which has been a historical issue in Central and Eastern Europe. You have transparency, you have integration of all of the process from the due diligence to the execution, which means that limited resources need to be applied to a particular sale. And I would say being very active myself in Central and Eastern Europe, the markets are relatively shallow and each market is different. Effectively, Debitos creates a very nice ecosystem for prospective investors. And this makes you rather competitive in the market, wouldn't you say? Yes, it makes us competitive. What we also see, investors are also annoyed by registering on each single bank, saving bank or, or whatsoever, or making an introduction. On our platform, they do a one-time registration. Afterwards, they can access different sellers without having this kind of obstacles or problems to get a, a local contact there. One-stop shopping. Sounds yes. excellent. Good. Timor Peters, wonderful speaking with you today. Thank you for your time and thank you for your wonderful market insights and good luck with the growth and expansion of Debitos. Yeah, Denise Heimer, once again, thank you as well for this kind of nice interview, for your good questions and, and this very good discussion with you. Thank you very much.